I was saying to Pablo, um, thank you for coming on our program. We, we had him on uh, our program not too, too long ago. And I was delighted to, uh, to have him on and more delighted to accept uh, the invitation to be here this morning. I was saying to Chris uh, that after President Trumpka, there's not a whole lot left to say. Um, so I, I promise you I will be brief because he said um, just about everything that needs to be said. And in the tradition of the black church that I grew up in, we have a word that we say all the time. We agree with what has been said, and that word is amen. amen. So everybody say amen. amen. Uh, that's how I felt about what uh, President Trumpka had to say, speaking um, to the issues of our day. Um, I am honored uh, to, to be here this morning uh, to share with you just a few minutes about some of the work uh, that I am doing, that Dr. West and I are doing together, and why I think this moment in the nation's history is so critical. I really just want to make three points in the 15 minutes I have. I want to make just three very simple and quick points. Um, uh, first, I, I want to, to say thank you to you. I'll come back to that in just a second. Uh, secondly, I want to talk about why I am so full of hope this morning. So first, I want to thank you. Secondly, I want to tell you why I'm so full of hope this morning. And thirdly, I want to talk about why it is so important, echoing what President Trump has said, why it's so important that we organize this year, organize in this presidential election year in a way that we have never organized. And those are three points I want to get across this morning. So let me start. Um, with the thank you that I came this morning to offer to you. Every day I drive through the city of Los Angeles. Uh, I was just in Chicago uh, a few weeks ago. But as I move around the country and I see day laborers on corners, in parking lots, I'm going to leave here in 15 minutes and I'm going to make my way to my television studio to start recording my show uh, for today and for tomorrow. I'm going to pass by a particular corner that I pass by every single day on my way to my studio. Uh, and every day I drive past this particular corner uh, on sunset, in case you're wondering what corner I'm talking about. Uh, I drive by this corner on sunset uh, every day on the way to my television studio. And when I drive by every day, I find myself looking in the direction of those day laborers and saying to them, thank you. Let me tell you why I say thank you every day. I say thank you because those laborers remind me every day that I see them that there is dignity in all work. There is dignity in work. Anyone who understands that so deeply Anyone who understands that so viscerally that they're willing to stand on a corner, to stand in a parking lot day in and day out trying to find that dignity, that humanity in work deserves a standing ovation from all the rest of us who call ourselves Americans. You deserve a standing ovation from us for reminding us, reminding us that, that there is dignity that there is humanity in all work. Let me tell you what I mean by this. I, today is what? Today's Tuesday? So two nights ago on Sunday night, some of you might have seen this on television. 
Anybody see 60 Minutes this past Sunday night? Did anybody see 60 Minutes this past Sunday? Anybody, anybody? I see a couple of hands. This past Sunday night on one of this nation's most venerable, uh, long-running, popular television shows, 60 Minutes, 60 Minutes did a major story on Americans <clears throat> who were once in the middle class, the so-called middle class, who have now fallen into poverty. They were once middle class, once making six-figure incomes every year. Some husbands and wives, both now unemployed. So the piece uh, featured a panel, uh, a stage full of, of about a dozen people, a stage full of 12 people of all races, all ethnicities, all cultures, all creeds. So a stage that, that represented America. And everyone on this panel was at one point <clears throat> firmly in the middle class, and every one of these persons now has fallen into poverty. I have been saying for many, 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 many months now, for a couple of years in fact, I have been saying that the new poor in America, the new poor are the former middle class. The folk who used to be in the middle class are now making up the ranks of the poor. The reason why the ranks of the poor, the reason why the numbers of the poor are growing so fast in this country, the reason why the numbers are so big right now is because those who were once in the middle class have now fallen into poverty. So that the, 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 the new poor, the new poor are the former middle class. There are at least three groups of Americans who make up the poor. You have what I call the perennially poor. That's just a, that's just a big word. Uh, that means that folk have been poor a long time. Folk have been poor a long time. We call the perennially poor. Then you have the near poor, folk who are just a paycheck away from being into poverty. So you've got the perennially poor, you've got the near poor, and now with all these folk falling out of the middle class into poverty, you have the new poor. So the perennially poor, the near poor, and the new poor. And those three groups combined now represent the largest number of Americans in the history of this nation who have found themselves in poverty. Those are the numbers. Those are the facts. I started by telling you that I celebrate you and I applaud you because you remind me every day that there is dignity in all work. When I was watching this 60 Minutes episode Sunday night, I saw a particular woman, actually a, a couple of folk on the panel echoed this, but there was one particular woman, to Pablo's point, and I, I accept it, uh, that African Americans have done a great deal of hard work in this country to open the door for others. Uh, and February happens to be what we call Black History Month. Uh, and so I'm here in our month uh, celebrating black folk, but also celebrating you, because you represent right now in this country the very best of the black struggle, the very best of that black tradition. You are the examples of. I will get myself in trouble for saying this, and I promise to come back to my 60 Minutes point in just a second, but since I'm on this, when I say that you represent the very best of what we call, what I call, the black prophetic tradition, that just means speaking truth to power and speaking truth to the powerless, 
the black prophetic tradition means acting with courage and with conviction and with commitment and with character. When I say that you represent the best of that tradition, I mean that because there are so many of my own African-American brothers and sisters right now out of respect for, out of deference to our first African-American president who will not say anything right now about the hell that they are enduring. We are so happy to have a black man in the White House. And I support this black man in the White House. I voted for this black man in the White House. And given the horrible choices that we have on the other side, I'm going to vote for that black man again because he's better than the other options. But there are so many of my own brothers and sisters right now who don't want to say anything about the hell that they are enduring. Black people in America right now are at the top of the unemployment numbers. There are more black folk unemployed in this country, proportionately, than any other group of Americans. I asked a group of black folk the other day, what is our pain threshold? How much pain can we take before we say something about the hell that we are going through right now in the era of Obama? How much longer can we be silent about what we are enduring? Not because it's his fault, not because we blame him, not because we don't like him, not because we don't want to see him get a second term, but because you, somebody has got to speak truth to power. Somebody's got to speak truth to the powerless. That at our best, that at our best has been what the black prophetic tradition is all about. So now you see why I say that you, right now in America, are the best example. You are the quintessential example. You are exhibit A when we talk about the best of that tradition now being on display. I celebrate you for that. And so I'm watching 60 Minutes the other night, and I see these panelists, one African-American woman in particular, and that's the point I wanted to get to. There was one black woman on this panel who broke down. She emotionally broke down on 60 Minutes Sunday night because she said, at this point, it's not even about the money. It's not about the money. I'm so far behind in my bills, Pablo. It's not about even paying the bills. It's not about the money. It's, it's not about paying the bills. I've been out of work for so long. All of my family and friends know that. So I'm beyond the embarrassment. She said, at this point for me, I am struggling to hold on to my dignity. She said, the thing that I'm losing, the thing that I cherish and value most, is my dignity. I need my dignity back. Somebody, please hire me. Somebody, please give me an opportunity. Somebody, please take advantage of all of my years of work experience. Somebody, see me. I am not invisible. I'm not invisible. That's what's happening to the poor in our country right now. The poor are being rendered invisible. I believe it is the telling of truth. I spoke earlier about speaking truth to power and speaking truth to the powerless. 
It is the telling of truth that allows suffering to speak. If nobody tells the truth, then the suffering doesn't get heard. If nobody tells the truth, then the suffering gets rendered invisible. And what I love about you is that you are truth tellers. You are truth tellers. You're truth tellers about your conditions. If nobody tells the truth about the conditions, if nobody tells the truth about the circumstances, then they never get addressed. They get swept under the rug, they get rendered, and your humanity, your dignity gets sacrificed. Your humanity, your dignity gets rendered invisible. But I came to celebrate you today for not selling your soul. I came to celebrate you for not surrendering your soul. I came to celebrate you for not letting them steal your soul. In this process, in this difficult era that we Americans are going through, we have to find a way to safeguard our souls. I told some folk the other day that some folk, some people figure this out way too late, but you will never get a rebate for selling your soul. There is no rebate for selling your soul. You can't sell, you can't surrender, you can't let them steal your soul. What are you saying, Tavis? I'm saying you have to stand in your truth. You have to stand in your truth. And you got to tell the truth. And you have to be consistent to the truth. Every day I go to work, I see those laborers, those day laborers consistently out there holding on to their humanity, holding on to their dignity, looking for an opportunity. It, it, it troubles me, and I, I, I can't figure this out, how it is that we now live in a nation. Get this now. Watch this. We live in a nation that says it values hard work. If, if there's any lesson that Americans get preached all the time, it's that you have to work hard. And if you work hard in America, you can have anything, you can, you can do anything, you can be anything. First of all, that's a lie. <clears throat> I, I, I love, I love my, my, my friend, the late comedian, the late comedian George Carlin. George Carlin <clears throat> was a wonderfully funny and very conscious comedian. And Carlin said, there's a reason why they call it the American dream, because you got to be asleep to believe it. <clears throat> they call it the American dream because you got to be asleep to believe it. But I, I see those day laborers every day as I go to work. I'm going to see them in a few minutes. I see them being consistent every day. And their very presence, their very presence, your very presence forces us to deal with the truth. Your very presence forces us to be consistent in dealing with that truth and acknowledging that truth. Your very presence says that we have some severe challenges in this country that we now must meet. So I hope you understand why I came here, number one, just to say thank you for reminding me, for reminding all Americans that there is dignity in all work. When I see these day laborers every day, I celebrate I applaud their fight to hold on to their dignity. 
And when I turn on 60 Minutes and I see a black woman who worked at a major corporation for 20 plus years, and they kicked her out and discarded her as if she was nothing and had done nothing and she can't find work that uh, takes advantage of her skills gained over all these years. And what she says to the nation on a national television show is that I just want to hold on to my dignity. That moved me in a way that I, I can't even put into words, although I've just tried. So one, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Secondly, <clears throat> secondly, I want to tell you, I want to tell you why I am so hopeful this morning. And it's not just because of the good news that I heard about the Supreme Court decision this morning to not take this case. That's a major victory for you all. That is a major, major, major victory. <clears throat> not just hopeful because of that decision, I am hopeful because, as I suggested earlier, more Americans are in poverty now than at any time since the Great Depression. And I believe, I believe that we are now in a moment, Pablo, we, we, are, we, we find ourselves in a moment where perhaps this movement can gain more traction. Why do, why do I feel that way? I, I'm not naive here. I know all the years of hard work. <clears throat> I know the DREAM Act hasn't passed. I know we've not had meaningful immigration reform. There are so many examples, so many, a, a litany of issues I could raise if I wanted to, to depress myself and depress you about what has not yet been done. But I'm hopeful this morning because more and more Americans, millions and millions of Americans are now experiencing what you have been going through for years. Now, they're not experiencing it in the exact way that you are experiencing it. But so many Americans now are unemployed. So many Americans now are looking for work. So many Americans now are long-term unemployed. There is right now a sensitivity. There is now a soft spot. There's a soft spot that presents a moment for us I'm hoping and praying and believing a moment for us to gain some traction on this issue, on respect and on dignity and on fairness and on respecting the humanity of all workers, starting with day laborers. I'm hoping that, that there is a moment right now, given that so many Americans understand in their own way what it means to be without what it means to be unemployed. Let's hope that this moment allows us an opportunity. It is into that particular moment <clears throat> that my friend Dr. Cornell West, Pablo mentioned Dr. West earlier. Uh, Cornell West, I regard as not just my best friend, but the nation's leading public intellectual. And just a few months ago, he spent 14 hours, a whole day, with the day laborers in Arizona, uh, on the front line with them in their fight, in their struggle, in their protest. So this is an issue that we don't come to we're not Johnny come lately's to this particular issue. We've been talking about this issue for years. <clears throat> Last year, late summer, Dr. West and I got on a bus. I, I decided that I wanted to do what I what we called the poverty tour. So I raised some money. We rented a big, huge tour bus, and Dr. West and I, with a television crew, got on this bus and spent a good part of our summer traveling across America, 
from the West Coast to the East Coast, from the North to the South, traveling across America with a camera crew in tow to document poverty in America. And we wanted to talk to some of everybody, uh, all kinds of Americans who are going through dealing with trying to navigate poverty right now. We started our very first stop. We started where we should have started. We started on a Native American reservation. We started with our Native American brothers and sisters on the reservation. That's where we started. But we worked our way through the country, through black neighborhoods and brown neighborhoods and red, yellow neighborhoods. And yes, there are a whole bunch of white folk who were unemployed. So we went through some white neighborhoods. We went all over America. But I must tell you that the part of the trip that brought me and Dr. West to tears uncontrollably, we could not stop crying. The one stop on that tour that just opened up my spirit, opened up my soul, was the day that we spent with warehouse workers and day laborers in Chicago. We got to Chicago and we spent that day in conversation with, moving, moving around the city with those warehouse workers and saw the indignity and we saw firsthand the inhumanity. We saw workers being raped, heard stories rather, workers who had been raped. When we were exposed to how these warehouse workers are treated, when we saw what these day laborers in Chicago are exposed to, it, 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 I went limp. I, I literally went limp. I, I could not imagine seeing what I was seeing in this country that says we value hard work. Here's what I can't figure out that I mentioned a moment ago and didn't quite get to. I can't figure out how it is that we live in a nation that says it values hard work, but the folk we treat the worst are the folk who work the hardest. I haven't figured that out yet. How can we be a nation that says it values hard work, but we treat the harshest, the people who work the hardest? That's what the reality is, and it doesn't fit. You can't tell me you that you're a nation that values hard work, and the people who work the hardest get treated the harshest. That doesn't add up. We saw this in Chicago, and I can't begin to tell you how honored I was, how humbled I was to take that series that we shot across the country and put it on national television for an entire week on PBS so that the nation could see all its fellow citizens wrestling with poverty, but particularly and especially see how we treat those persons who are trying the hardest. The response that we got to that week-long series was absolutely phenomenal, that we've continued this conversation. Just a few weeks ago, we had a national symposium, a panel full of experts talking about poverty in Washington. And in just a matter of weeks, I'm going to New York for another national conversation where we're talking specifically about women and children. The thing I love about, again, back to Pablo's compliment earlier about the black tradition. I'm proud to be an African-American, but there's so much about your tradition that I admire. There's so much about your tradition that I love and, and then that I respect. And top on the list is a love of family. 
a love and an appreciation and a high regard of family. And when you talk about family in America today, the persons who are falling fastest into poverty, women and children. Women and children are falling faster into poverty than any other group of Americans. And nobody's talking about that. So February is Black History Month. March is Women's History Month. So in Women's History Month, we're going to do three nights, three nights on national television talking specifically about women and children in poverty in America. We're going to continue this conversation. So my time is up. One, I want to say thank you again. Two, I want to say that I am hopeful because there's a moment right now where so many Americans are starting to feel and starting to experience what it means to be without, what it means to be on the outside looking in, what it means to be begging for a job, to be respected and to be treated properly. Maybe there's a moment for some traction here. And thirdly and finally, I want to end where I began talking about how this year, in this critical presidential election year, we have to organize as never before. We have to organize like we have never organized before. And I am so excited that you and so many others around the country understand that and are going to hold all of our leaders accountable. We have to hold them accountable in this election year. And I don't just mean the Republicans, I mean the Democrats as well. The spineless, milk toast, lacking courage Democrats sometimes need to be held accountable as well. So all of our leaders this year must be held accountable to your best interest. They got to be held accountable this year. And I can tell you this, as long as I have access to a television camera, as long as I have access to a radio microphone, as long as I have access, I'm going to keep raising your issues. I believe that public television and public radio are at their best when they challenge people, when we challenge people to re-examine the assumptions they hold about you, when we challenge people to expand their inventory of ideas about you, when we use these platforms to introduce Americans to you and your work and your struggle and your humanity and your fight for your dignity, when we use TV and radio to do that kind of work, that's when I believe that television and radio are at their best. And that's what I've been trying to do, and I will continue to try to do that for as long as I have the access. Because this is Black History Month, and because I regard there are a lot of great Americans, Cesar Chavez among them, Dolores Huerta, who I just saw the other night for dinner, among them. There's so many great Americans. But the person who I regard as the greatest American we've ever produced, you don't have to agree, this is my assessment. The person who I regard as the greatest American we have ever produced said a couple of things I want to leave with you in Black History Month. His name, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I regard him as the greatest American we've ever produced. King said two things I want to leave with you. He said, if it falls in life, your lot to be a street sweeper, 
If in life you get called to be, if your vocation is, is that of a street sweeper. Dr. King said, sweep the streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep the streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep the streets like Shakespeare composed poetry. Do your job so well that the dead, the living, or the unborn couldn't do it any better. Do your work so well, whatever your calling in life is, because there's dignity in all work. Whatever your calling is, do it so well that the dead, the living, and even the unborn couldn't do it any better. King finally said this, cowardice, ask, is it safe? Expediency, ask, is it politic? Vanity, ask, is it popular? But conscience, ask, is it right? And every now and then, we, you, must take positions that are neither safe, politic, comfortable, or convenient, but you take that position because your conscience tells you that it is right. What you are doing is right, and I celebrate you in doing it. Thank you very much, and God bless you.